Welcome to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. This is a show to help you be inspired by our Catholic faith, live out the gospel message, and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm joined each week in the studio with my dear friend, Emily Jaminette. We hope this show provides an uplifting 30 minutes to help refresh your soul and strengthen your faith. As it was born out of our friendship, we hope it encourages you to deepen and develop spiritual friendships with your sisters in Christ. Well, good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm doing great. The sun is shining. I'm putting my best foot forward, at least for our first few minutes of the day. <laughs> <laughs> it is all wonderful. We are here at St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, and uh, life is good. Life is good. It's it's very, the weather's beautiful, so it does help. Yes, the sunshine helps your mental health, yes. which we do have a super important topic to talk about today, and we are very honored to have a fabulous guest. We're going to have Tommy Tai join us today talking about his book, St. Dimpna's Playbook, Finding Mental and Emotional Well-Being. So this is um, a really important topic that we see so much of in today's world. People, So many people are struggling, and um, we are just honored to be able to speak with Tommy today. We are. And you know, for you being a nurse, and my background is mental health and human services, you never, you never can get enough from not diving deep into this topic. So... Good, good job for setting this one up today, Michelle. Well, Tommy Tai is a marriage and family therapist, the creator of St. Dimpna's Playbook, Podcast, and Book. And he is joining us today from the San Francisco Bay Area of California, where it is bright and early. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning. It's so great to be with you both. We are honored to have you. And again, thank you for your work. I just really um, was was touched by this and is really important for me in my professional life, but in everybody's life to have a better understanding of mental health, especially in light of our Catholic faith. Absolutely. It's something that we have to talk about. So I'm so glad to be able to join you and start that conversation. Tommy, I love putting this book right next to my bed. I think if you are a parent, this is the book that goes next to your bed because it's not just about our own mental health, but it's also helping our children to have, um, you know, for us to look at warning signs, for us to better understand, you know, how to serve them, especially as Catholics. So thank you for this beautiful book. Oh, of course. Yeah, thank you for, for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Well, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? I gave a short formal bio, but you have um, a plethora of things that you are involved in. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your faith journey? Oh, sure. So um, let's see. First and foremost, I'm a husband and father. So my wife and I have been married since um, 2007. It'll be 15 years this year, so that's very exciting. Um, we have five children, all boys, so our house is very loud. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity to come out and sit in the garage in our van and hide out from the noise for a little while. So thank you for that. That's <laughs> very kind of you. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was adopted when I was three weeks old into a Catholic family. Um, my mom had sisters who were nuns. My dad had gone to, like, minor seminary, so it was a very Catholic household. We had, like, our CIA classes in our living room that my parents would run that I would sit in on from a very young age. So uh, always very close to the faith, and that's, um, that's been so important to me. And for me, it's been um, an important anchor that I think I see uh, how much I want to pass the faith on to our children, not only because it's true and because of heaven and because of all of these things that are so important, but also because um, in our own lives when we've struggled, like, our faith has really kind of carried us through in so many ways. Not that it's been easy, but without that faith, like, I can't imagine where we would be. So um, just even more vital to want to, like, share the faith with my children. So 
that's uh, a little bit about me. I write a couple books that, that are fun and some that are serious. Uh, I've done some TV shows or a TV show with Catholic TV that you can find online, uh, stuff like that. But mostly just a dad and a, a, a husband. And uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist in real life, like in my normal everyday life. Your real job is what I call my, I have a real <laughs> yeah. job and then I have my, you know, my evangelization and my free work, right? For God. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all some of the best work, right? Most definitely, yeah. Well, you titled your book and your podcast St. Dymphna's Playbook. So for people who don't know about St. Dymphna, um, why did you choose this chain and and what is her story? Oh, yeah. So ever since I was going to grad school for for mental health therapy, I always had a holy card of St. Dymphna near me. And uh, my first job working in like local mental health, like I had the holy card like stuck up on my filing cabinet. Um, So she's always been close to me. She's the patron of um, those of us suffering from mental health symptoms and for uh, people working in the mental health profession. So um, she's always been really close to my heart since the very beginning. Um, and so her story is she's, she's from the 7th century from Ireland. Um, her mother passed away and her father was told by his friends that he needed to marry to kind of get him out of his grief. Um, and unfortunately, his grief was so severe that he ended up like kind of losing his mind and turning his, his infatuation on his daughter and wanted to marry her. Of course, she didn't really like this idea, right? Her mother was a Christian. He wasn't. Um, so she held on to the Christian faith. Um, and eventually she fled Ireland with her spiritual director, and they left and went to Belgium. So once she got to Belgium, she did something really amazing, because we're talking about the 7th century here. She got to Belgium, and she uh, opened up like what we would consider now like sort of a mental health clinic or like a hospital for people who were suffering from mental health symptoms. It's incredible to think about because even in some places today, we don't have these kind of services readily available, but that's what she did with her time in Giel, Belgium. The problem is, is that she was spending like money from where she was from in Ireland, right? Like coins and gold from Ireland. And so word spread that she was there, her father got over there and ended up killing her and her confessor. So it's a really tragic story, but Mental health was important in her life because it obviously touched her father and his grief. And she did this amazing advocacy and work for people suffering from mental illness. And even today, in Giel, Belgium, it's one of the most like advanced areas in the world in terms of mental health treatment, where people who live in the community open up their homes. Uh, rather than like people suffering from severe mental illness being locked in an institution, these people open their homes and welcome these individuals into the community. And it's just amazing to see the things that they've done there. And that's her legacy from so many years ago. And I just think, what an incredible story. And she's not a well-known saint, but she's powerful. And to think about this young woman from the 7th century having an impact that lasts all the way to 2022 is just absolutely wonderful and incredible. So people should check her out. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because my daughter did a report on it and I never got the rest of the story. So as parents, we always can get a little glimpse of, you know, the hope that comes after, you know, we didn't get past the the murder part of the story. Yeah. So <laughs> so I now get to tell my sixth grader the, the hope that came from that. And, you know, I think a lot of times as parents, uh, Tommy, we say we try to say the right thing or as friends, but a lot of times we say what we shouldn't say, right, when it comes to mental health. And with your background, maybe you could guide us just a little bit. I know the book is divided into different topics, but sometimes, you know, maybe just start with how to approach when you think someone is struggling with um, some mental health issues. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the most important thing for us to realize is that 
our role isn't necessarily like fix people's problems, even our children, not to fix the problems that they're going through, but really to be there with them and to walk alongside them. So that solves a lot of the what do we say and what, what if I say the wrong thing kind of issue that we have, because just listening, asking people how we can help or just telling them that we're there for them and what they're going through isn't going to scare us away. These are like very important things because it opens up kind of that window, right? When we say things like, well, you know, I was I was worried before and I just kind of like did the thing I was worried about and I was fine. I mean, I've been sad, but I just sort of, you know, pushed through and got over it. So you should do that too. Those can be very hurtful things because we don't always understand exactly what someone's going through or why. And so a much better approach is to listen and to suffer with them. I think that's one of the most important takeaways to think about is how can I just walk with this person on this journey and help them when they need the help or when they want the help or help them. Like, you know, um, so often we hear people say, oh, you're depressed. Like, you should just go see a therapist. That would be better. But when you're depressed, you don't have the ability to call all these people, wait on hold, get authorizations, or all of these things that we've done in our country to make it difficult to get treatment, right? Helping people to do those things is such an important thing. So anyway, just being willing to tell people, I'm here for you. You can talk to me, and nothing that you say is going to make me leave. I'm going to be here with you no matter what. I think that's a really important thing. For our children, I always take, think it's very important to share our own mental health history, to talk about times that we've been anxious, times that we've been depressed, to really like normalize those feelings, because we don't want our kids to feel like we don't understand. And we've all been through it. So, you know, of course, you have to like uh, filter things for the ages of your children based on what you've been through. But sharing those times that you have felt that way in the past, I think, is, is really, really powerful because it opens that door to empathy and understanding. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, Tommy. And I know I love in your book how you separated things into five different topics. So you talked about depression, anxiety, trauma, relationships, and grief as big topics in mental health. And I thought we could just break down a few of them today because we won't have time to go through all of them. But I think a big one is anxiety. And I know we it was actually a big topic at our women's conference this year um, discussing this. And I know as a nurse, I see a lot of people who are struggling, especially kids, with anxiety. And how do people even start to to cope with this um, and some ideas for them for, for those people who are suffering from, from anxiety? Oh, absolutely. So I think it's really important for us to, to first think about um, the difference between just normal worry and then having anxiety that's really impacting our life, right? So uh, all of us experience anxiety from time to time. All of us have worried about things, felt nervous about the future, right? felt nervous about things that we said in the past or did in the past. The anxiety that we're talking about here is really an anxiety that causes us to have a difficult time functioning in our day-to-day life, right? We're talking about, like, anxiety that makes it hard for us to go to school or work or have social relationships where it's just so intense that we draw back from those things. So a couple important things to remember is... Um, <laughs> It's, it's something that we can work through and overcome. It can feel so intense and incredible that it can feel like we're never going to find relief. But that's just not true. There's always hope. There's always ways to move forward. So I think that's a great starting point to remember. Um, typically, one of the best things to do for anxiety is to practice mindfulness exercises. And by that, I mean trying to place ourselves in the present moment. Uh, I'm talking about things like engaging our five senses, like feeling our feet on the ground, looking around and trying to find, like, the colors of the rainbow and our surroundings in order. These things that sort of, like, what am I smelling? What am I hearing? These things that place us in the moment that we're in right now really helps us to disengage from these, like, racing thoughts that can um, lead us down a really anxious path. 
One thing I think is important to remember, though, because sometimes we can have panic attacks, right? That's like a very severe situation with anxiety. It's, it's important to remember that once we're in a panic attack, the time for these coping mechanisms that I'm talking about have kind of passed. Because a panic attack is we're like over the edge, we're feeling like we're going to die, we can't breathe, our heart is racing. Um, and it's not really helpful if someone says, do you remember to do those deep breathing exercises? Because it's too late, right? So we really have to learn to pay attention to our anxiety and our triggers and employ our coping skills before it gets to that point. That's a pretty crucial thing because uh, we can give advice to people when they're having a panic attack that just that won't work. The only thing to do at that point is to be somewhere safe and kind of wait for it to pass. Um, so that's important. For our kids, I think it's very, very important to practice coping skills when we're not anxious because um, sometimes we think like, um, you know, you only take a medicine when you're sick, right? So maybe I only do my coping skills when I'm feeling anxious. But that doesn't really work because when we're anxious or depressed, our brain isn't really functioning at the capacity that we need it to to kind of come up with those things. So it's important to practice these skills when you just feel totally okay so that when the anxiety comes, you have that like rhythm and practice to just automatically do it. So we do that like around our dinner table sometimes. We'll practice like um, there's this thing called balloon breathing. We'll practice with my kids. Uh, and for us, too, where you, like, put your hands on top of your head and take a deep breath up and raise your hands like you're filling a balloon. And then when you reach the capacity of the balloon, you slowly exhale and bring your hands back down. Like, just little tricks like this that can be fun games when you're feeling okay. But then you can remind your kids or yourself when you start to feel anxious to employ that thing. And because you've practiced, you can use it. So there's lots of different things that people can do. And it's important to use coping skills that work for you personally with the way you see the world, with the way you think about things. Because uh, a coping skill that works for you isn't going to work for me, and I shouldn't try to force it. Um, but it's, it's important to practice when you're feeling okay. I hope that makes sense. I have a quick question. You know, what's the role as a therapist and in some of these practices with even our Catholic faith? You know, do you see that, um, that it's complementary? Oh, absolutely. So I've always worked for like local government mental health, right, in, in a, at a county level. So it's not exactly like a, a place where we like sit around and hold hands and pray for our mental health very much, right? But the faith is so important. And, and the, I think the things that I take away from my Catholic faith, I use every single day with people that I'm meeting with. And this is mostly like the fact that we all have dignity, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter if we have a job or if we're able to do these certain things, like every single person has dignity and has the right to feel healthy and well. And I think these are things that we forget because in our society, we're like, if you're not going to work and making some sort of product or, you know, helping your company get better or taking your kids to all the things or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like then you're not doing good enough, right? Um, and so our faith is so dramatically uh, counter to that. So I bring that into the, into the space of working with people all the time. Like, you have dignity and worth no matter what. That's, like, the biggest starting point. And, you know, a lot of times people will say, like, how do you sit with all these people who are struggling with all these things? But that's the first thing you do. And we can do that to anybody we meet because um, when you're struggling, like, sometimes people don't want to be around you. They say mean things to you. They tell you things that aren't helpful. So just sitting with somebody and saying, you know what, like, you're worthy of love and you're worthy of wellness and you're worthy of healing and, like, I'm going to be with you. That's like a radical thing for someone to hear, even though it's so easy, because when we're struggling with our mental health, we can like burn out our family members and our friend support. Um, so that's, I take that away from my faith all the time and use that like in sessions with people, because it's not something that we hear very much anymore, that we're worthy and have dignity no matter what. 
Well, I love also in your book and in your podcast, you incorporate the saints and you really talk about how many of the saints struggled with mental health. And I think we sometimes think, well, the saints, they were perfect and they had these great lives, but many of them had struggles with mental health. And so could you share maybe one of your other, besides St. Dymphna, another favorite saint that um, that you featured? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's so important for us as Catholics to hear these things because so many saints have these stories about times that they've struggled. I, I mean, it was so cool. Recently, Pope Francis did an interview where he talked about going to therapy and how much it helped him. And I think that that's so important for us to hear that people struggle. And especially when it's like, if I've ever felt so depressed that I felt hopeless and didn't know if I wanted to go on living, I can feel detached from God and feel like there's no chance for me. But there are all these saints who have had that exact same experience, and they're in heaven right now. And so I think it really is a a helpful reminder that, like, God doesn't forget us. He has a plan for us, and, like, we're still close to Him, even maybe more close to Him when we're going through these kinds of things. So, I mean, a couple that jumped to my mind, Dorothy Day is very important to me, like, reading her her biography, uh, her autobiography was, like, life-changing for me, and to learn about her mental health experiences that she went through uh, was very powerful, because, like you say, we've, like, kind of whitewashed Dorothy Day into this. She just gave up everything and helped the poor and was perfect and wasn't everything so amazing. And it wasn't like that for her. She was so depressed that she tried to take phone life and would would have if somebody wouldn't have walked into her apartment in New York to save her. She had her head, you know, in the oven like that close, that serious, and was saved by a neighbor. And this kind of changed her life. And I think that's so powerful to know that someone could despair so much and then become one of the most like famous American uh, holy heroes that we have. Oscar Romero is another one who I think is so important to think about and talk about. He was uh, diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. He had to go to therapy for it. He struggled with it for a long time. Um, but look at what he was able to accomplish, you know? I mean, he's so incredible, so inspirational, uh, so brave. And to think about how he had to go through that is, is mind-blowing. The last one I'll bring up, even though there's so many, I could just keep going. Uh, Edith Stein is the St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross is an amazing saint, right? I mean, she lived through World War II. She suffered in a concentration camp. All of these incredible things that we think about. She used to pray that she would get hit by a car when she walked across the street because she felt so depressed. And to explore that and to hear how she worked through that and her thoughts about that, it's just so incredible to read because it gives me hope when I feel like I'm despairing and hopeless that there's somebody who I can reach out to who instantly understands and, and it's her. I can ask for her help in heaven because she's been there before. And I just think it's one of the most incredible things in our Catholic faith is having this communion of people who are like us, who understand us, who can intercede for us. It's, it's incredibly important. Wow, that's really helpful. You brought up some scenes that I didn't even think of, so I appreciate you you sharing that. You know, um, Tommy, share with us maybe that beginning step to consider going to counseling, or how do you find a good counselor? You know, what what do you do? You accept uh, Zoom counseling, or you know, share with us a little bit of the process and and what you've learned and seen over your many years of practicing. Oh, sure, sure. So I, I work in like a local mental health setting, so just seeing patients like face-to-face who um, live in the area and who are on Medicaid or Medi-Cal, we call it here. So that's what I do primarily in my work. Um, but a couple things, a couple things about picking a good therapist. I think um, one of the things is that you can go the normal route. So I think sometimes we like think that we need to seek out somebody um, who, you know, has like 
a perfect rating on the Internet, and I've heard things about them, and they cost $500 an hour, so they must be incredible, and that's where I'm going to go. Um, that could work for some people, but most of us, like when I hear about how much therapists are charging, since we don't charge anything, like it, it kind of blows me away, and I can't believe it. Um, so one piece of advice would be that there are lots of good therapists who you can access through your insurance, or if you have Medicaid, like state insurance, you can access through them, through the county access lines that you can call. Um, so I think like thinking about going through it the most simple way is a great place to start. Telling your primary care doctor that you want to see a therapist and getting connected that way. There are tons of ways to get connected to therapy that are cost effective. Even seeing people who are like collecting hours, like interns who have a therapist over them, can be very cost effective. And I've met plenty of interns who I would rather go to therapy than than a bunch of licensed people that I've met before. So it's important to be open to that kind of a thing. Um, the other thing that's important in terms of finding a good therapist is to realize that the work of therapy is is going to work because of the relationships that you build. So somebody could be the most amazing therapist on earth, but if our relationship doesn't click, it's not going to go anywhere for me. And we have to be willing to say after a couple sessions or something, you know, this isn't quite the good fit for me. And most therapists I've ever met are totally okay with that because they feel the same thing that you're feeling. And they want to be able to click with people, too. So, so seeking out somebody who, um, who fits with you is a really important thing. Um, I would say in terms of when do you go get therapy, there's a lot of thought around, like, when your functioning starts to suffer and things like that. But I, I would say if you're thinking about it, it's worth checking it out. It's not like if you sign up to see a therapist, you have to go for, you know, six months or you get, like, a cancellation fee or something like that, like, you know, some streaming program or something. If, if you can go and see and get some help, see if you want to keep going, you can quit if you need to, just to check it out and see if it's helpful for you. Uh, one question I get all the time from people is uh, the importance of finding a Catholic therapist. Um, and this is something that I, I've talked about a lot because I think, as I mentioned, the relationship is vitally important to the therapeutic process. And if you're suffering through something specific, it's important to find somebody who knows how to treat that specific issue rather than somebody who shares your faith, right? All of us therapists are trained to respect everybody's like worldview and to not be offering things that go outside of their worldview. So I don't think we should be really worried about that. And if I'm dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder, I need to find a therapist who knows how to treat obsessive compulsive disorder rather than going to a Catholic therapist who might have no idea because they could lead me down a path that actually makes things worse rather than better if they don't have training, right? So I know it's hard. I know that like a lot of us think that therapists are going to recommend we do things that go against our faith, um, but I would say we don't. We almost never would do something like that, and it's better to find somebody who's a good fit personality-wise and a good fit for what you're going through. Well, thank you for that. I know so many people, there is such the stigma of, you know, you, you don't want to admit that you're going to counseling or tell anybody, but it's so important in this time to to be open about that and to share with others, you know, our experience and to, to talk about this. And it's okay if you, if you go to counseling. It's a great thing. And I, you know, like... Uh, we're lucky here. We have Spirit of Peace Clinical Counseling, a great Catholic um, counseling group that takes insurance. So there are some really beautiful organizations here, even locally, that people can take advantage of if they feel um, they need to start seeing seeing a counselor. So before we let you go, we are almost almost out of time here, Tommy. Can you tell our listeners um, where they can find you online and get your books and hear your podcast? 
Absolutely, yeah. So you can, I would plop uh, St. Dymphna's Playbook into Google. I think that's the best way, and you'll find the book and the podcast to hop up there. Um, you can go to Ave Maria Press's website to order the book or to your local Catholic bookstore to be able to ask for it. I think that would be really nice. Um, and online, like I'm mostly on Twitter, my handle there is at the GH is silence because my last name has a GH that you don't pronounce. Um, so that's someplace you could check me out and um, find everything there. And I'd love to talk to you. It'd be great. You have a lot of great humor on Twitter. I, I'm not a, a Twitter person, but my husband is, and he's always telling me your, your tweets of the day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> how embarrassing, but thank him for me. That's nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Tommy. We really appreciate your experience and your expertise, and we hope to uh, meet you in real life someday. Absolutely. That would be wonderful, and I'm just so grateful that you guys are talking about mental health because we need to so much, especially right now in our in our history. This is such an important time to talk about it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And God bless. You too. Bye-bye. Oh, that was so, so wonderful. That was really wonderful. I took a lot of great notes. And again, I mean, this book goes by my bedside because you can't be equipped enough as a parent. (laughs) You know, a lot of times when they're little, you're focusing on making sure you're feeding them correctly and making sure they sleep well. But I think that the mental health piece is important too, because you don't want to ignore some of these mental health concerns in yourself, in your loved ones, in your family. And, and you know, recently I was given some really good advice on this that we also, you know, by praying for those struggling, sometimes we're praying that that other, that therapist comes in their life or that, you know, that role model comes in their life that helps them get to therapy as well and get the treatment they need. So I also see the importance of prayer, praying for those that are struggling. I especially uh, appreciated the chapters on relationships. Um, They're really good for no matter how many years you've been married. um, Nobody has the perfect relationship. And there's some just really great talks and discussion on working on things in your marriage and active listening with your partner. I think it's well worth a read um, for you and and any relationship, any friendship. There are, you know, we talk about manipulative relationships. There is so many different issues we can experience in our relationships. So it was um, a little different than some of the other chapters like on anxiety and depression, but more of something it's more day-to-day things that you can practice just in any relationship, not necessarily a struggle. I did enjoy that as well because you don't really always think of it, but it gives you some great solutions and some symptoms and, and signs of maybe what to look forward to and to work on. Well, let's close in prayer. I have a prayer from for, prayer to, for the intercession of St. Dymphna. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good St. Dymphna, great wonder worker in every affliction of mind and body, I humbly implore your powerful intercession with Jesus through Mary, the health of sick in my present need. St. Dymphna, martyr of purity, patroness of those who suffer with nerves and mental affliction, beloved child of Jesus and Mary, pray to them for me and obtain my request. St. Dymphna, virgin and martyr, pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, visit columbuscatholicwomen.com. And to hear more about Emily and my work, be sure to visit inspirethefaith.com.